0: Well, good morning, everyone. Always a joy to bring the Word of God to God's people. Let's start in a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for just giving us another day of breath where we can uh, fellowship, where we can come before you and and worship you uh, in your house, Lord. House of Prayer, help us to uh, see the value of coming together as a church to worship you and Lord, may that not just be a Sunday thing, may it be a daily thing in our lives. We pray, Lord, as we talk about this important topic, that you will convict our hearts. Help us to see how you're working in us. And may you uh, just change us, Lord, to better glorify you throughout this world and throughout the life we have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today our text will deal with something very poisonous. I would argue it is more poisonous than the inland taipan snake. The most venomous snake on the earth. It has so much venom that one bite can kill a hundred men. This snake is dangerous. What amazed me uh, was that there were actually some people that were handling this snake by the tail. And I do not recommend any of you do that, right? Snakes are dangerous. But today we're going to discuss something more powerful. Something we ought to seek to handle. The tongue. How are we doing with handling that tiny beast? Throughout this lesson, I want us to think about five main points. The first one is about stricter judgment. James will warn us to not run to teach God's word. The second point is about our stumbling ways. We all sin, and most of us mainly sin with the tongue. The third point is about self-control. As we grow in sanctification, we will see something beautiful in our lives. We will be able to have self-control when it comes to what we say. The fourth point is about the small tongue. James gives us three illustrations to stress the power of something so little in comparison to our entire body. And the fifth point we're going to look at is steering illustrations. James is going to go back to his many metaphors and similes. Remember, he's very artistic. He helps us understand with pictures. He wants his audience to think. And so the main reason for these illustrations we're going to see is to examine how something so small can be so powerful. And so the question for us when we see these illustrations is, do we notice the power of the tongue? This is the first step For someone who wants to be wise in their speech, they're going to recognize that this tongue is very powerful. Uh, They will honestly understand that, man, I need to be more careful moving forward with this tongue because it's so powerful. So what we're going to do is going to go into some of these verses, and we're going to see how to steer the tongue. So if you have your Bibles, go to James chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 2. James chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. Let's read it together. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment, for we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. In these verses, we notice two reasons why James says we ought not to run to teach uh, the God, of, of God's word. I have a discussion slide that we're also going to see. Um, we're going to talk about teachers, so be ready to discuss there and, and answer some questions. And then I want us to remember one of the main ways that we are doers of the word, right? It's about having self-control. If you remember, uh, there's a couple of ways, right? Being clean, from the world and controlling the tongue. And so that's the one we're going to mainly focus on. All right, so after warning his brethren about the sin of partiality and giving them examples of a dead faith and a living faith, James gives his brethren another warning. If you remember, one of the major themes of this book is what? Self-deception. The brethren can think there's something that they're not. They may think, well, we're super religious, but they're acting like demons. They may think they're saved because, hey, we're Jews, right? Abraham's our father. We're saved. But they're not willing to offer up anything to the Lord in thanksgiving. They may say that they follow Jesus, but they're not willing to suffer for his name. They can just be hearers of the word, or relating to our text today, speakers of the word, and not truly doers of the word. And so these are... The type of people that should not even think to be teachers. They should not teach the word of God. But here in James chapter 3, James is going to address these brethren that are struggling with sin. Many of them are saying, Man, why don't I become a teacher? I think I could teach. I'm pretty good at teaching. They also see that the early church, it gave a high esteem to teachers. And so they're like, well, I like that recognition. I want to be acknowledged as a teacher, a rabbi maybe. And so certain men who weren't qualified didn't realize the responsibility involved and they didn't understand, man, this is going to be a lot of pressure. They are not willing to pay the price demanded by this position. And so being a teacher of God's word is not for everyone. It is not a task that if you feel like doing, you can just jump into it. James being a teacher, he's aware of this. This is a serious task. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, alludes to this. Why don't you go to uh, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount here, Matthew 5. Look at verse 19 with me. If you got it, say amen. All right, very good there. Okay, so look what he says here in verse 19. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so what do we see here? Right? Some are be calling, uh, being called least, some are being called great. What's it based on? If they're teaching correctly, right? We're going to be judged how we teach, James in chapter 3, he gives us two reasons why we should not run to become teachers of God's word. So the first main reason I want us to consider here is in verse 1. James says, knowing that as such, we will incur a stricter judgment. This can also be translated as a greater judgment. James, he includes himself here. He knows that being a teacher isn't a walk in the park. Maybe you want to become a preacher one day. Pump the brakes for a second. Do you know what you're getting into? James doesn't make this statement to just scare us away from the ministry. He is simply preparing those who want to go into the ministry, uh, especially with pure motives, that there is this reality of stricter judgment. And then he's also warning those with evil motives that they're going to be judged if they teach incorrectly or hypocritically. And so let's be honest. Many people want to jump into the ministry to make money or be famous. Some of the richest people in America are who? Pastors. And so I'm not saying you can't make some money uh, for your labor, but if your purpose to go into the ministry is to get recognized, you need to repent, right? That is not why you go into the ministry to teach God's word. After all, we're all going to stand before God in that judgment seat, And we're going to give an account for our life to God. He knows our hearts. We can't hide anything from Him. And so if you're thinking about teaching God's Word, just remember, God does not take that lightly. The next reason we should not run into teaching God's Word, we see here in James chapter uh, 2, chapter 3, verse 2, James says, For we all stumble in many ways. And so we can stumble in our thought life, in our speech, in our conduct. James told us earlier that if you keep the whole law yet stumble in one point, we have become guilty of it. We are lawbreakers. Go with me there to James chapter 2. I just want you to see that for yourself. James chapter 2, look at verse 10. In the context of talking about partiality and sin, right? He says, Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in one point, He has become guilty of it all. And so we're all law breakers. We have all sinned. We have broken God's law. Now, what about James? James was not a superhuman. Yes, he was a man of prayer, known as camel knees. But he wasn't always on his knees. He stumbled. He sinned in many ways. And so Paul tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We see that in Romans 3.23. And knowing this truth, James is aware of it. Yes, I have sinned against the holy God. And so what he does is he's warning against becoming a teacher so quickly. Right? Yes, it's great to be in front of everybody and you get to preach the word, but James is saying, whoa, 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 hold it up for a second. A teacher will be one many look up to as an example. They will have the ability to lead others to the truth so they'll be sanctified more or they will have the ability to push others away from the truth and cause many to fall. And so we hear about false teachers nowadays, pastors who fall into sexual sin. It's like every year we hear about it, another famous teacher who has to step down from the pulpit. Now, I'm not saying pastors have to be perfect. We won't be. We will stumble. The difference is that there are some believers who want to glorify God, that are blessed doers, they are good examples for others, and then there are those that are deceived hearers, or just speakers, deceived speakers, that should have no foot in the ministry. And so James wants to make sure that we're not being unwise and jumping into the important task of teaching God's word so quickly. Uh, what, what do you think is a good example of those that shouldn't be teaching in the Bible? There's some teachers in the Bible. What is a good example of those who shouldn't be teaching? What comes up to mind right away? Perfect, the Pharisees. Go to Luke chapter 11. Look at verse 42 and 43. Now we know that the Pharisees, the religious elite, right? They knew the word. Huh, why wouldn't they be the ones teaching the word? They they know it inside out, right? Well, look what Jesus says to them. Uh, Luke eleven forty two and forty three, and he says a lot to them. But we're, you know, for the sake of time, we're going to only mention a couple of things here. He says, "But woe to you, Pharisees, for you pay type of mint and rue and every kind of garden herb, and yet disregard justice and the love of God. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees!" For you love the chief seats in the synagogues and the respectful greetings in the marketplaces. So we see here Jesus rebuking them. We see here that they are people that wanted the glory. They, They wanted the front seat. They wanted the best. They wanted a comfortable life. And so they neglected those that would make it harder for them or take away some of their money. Right? And, and what can happen in, in the ministry, a lot of pastors can get like this. They can be, oh, this person wearing me out. I don't have time for this person. And instead, they just focus on the money. Right? And so this is a sad truth, but Jesus warns against these teachers. He says, woe to them, right? A curse be undone. Um, the contrast in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Blessed are they. Here, it's woe to them. And man, they will be judged strictly, um, you think throughout the scriptures, who are going to have the, uh, the greatest judgment? Uh, yes, Sodom and Gomorrah practiced homosexuality. They were you know, sinning, raping, all those things, which are terrible, of course, and they're going to be judged. But it will be far worse for those who, who knew the Word of God and, and they messed with the Word of God. They uh, taught it incorrectly and, and they were hypocrites. And, and God's going to hold them more accountable for that sin, a great sin. All right, so we discussed two main reasons why we shouldn't uh, jump into the ministry. The first one, stricter judgment. The second one, stumbling ways. Now let's discuss, and this is where I want to hear a little bit from you guys, uh, the topic of teachers. I have a couple questions for us. So question number one, what are some reasons pastors shouldn't become teachers or people shouldn't become teachers in general? What are some other reasons why? What do you guys got? Mm hmm Good, yeah. I mean, yeah, they're not gifted, lack of knowledge. They haven't been in the Word. Yeah, good. Anyone else? Why shouldn't a pastor become a teacher? Maybe think of some scriptures. Huh? They're not blessed blessed doers. I like that. Keeping in lock with James. Yeah, what if they're not believers? There are so many people that want to be a pastor, and they're not even believers, right? They're false converts. Very good point. Very good point. Another reason. What do you guys think? Yes. So, we have people that don't take it seriously. They look at it like, oh, it's just another job. It's, you know, I'll be a pastor. But it is so much responsibility. So much responsibility. Yes. Uh, Maybe some of them are not qualified, right? We see that in Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3. The wrong motive. The wrong motive. There you go. I think uh, that's in 1 Peter 5, right? We should not be doing that. Um, you know, shepherding the flock with these wrong motives—still so very good. Anyone else before? Next question. All right. Second question: What are some ways that teachers can stumble? Let's be honest—they're in the limelight, right? They're in front of everybody. What are some ways they can stumble? What do you guys think? Yes, that was my number one answer: pride. Pride. So they might think, "Well, we're super." spiritual right we don't need to pray we know so much of the scripture or we don't need the rest of the body of christ um i think about some pastors or preachers that they just preach at conferences left uh you know yesterday today tomorrow i got this conference i'm gonna because they're such great speakers but they're not a part of a local church there's no accountability right and so there's a danger in that that they can stumble and you've heard of many uh famous teachers that stumbled uh, you know, even recently. So, all right, one more question here. And we're going to have to go to James chapter 2, verse 12. So go to James chapter 2, verse 12. And I want you to put on your thinking caps here. James, you just read verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. How does... And then I'll wait for someone to respond here. It says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty. What's the connection or correlation you see here with James chapter 3 verses 1 to 2? Any similarities? Speak and so act. Yes? So you don't it hypocrite, you hmm. do what you speak. Yeah, yeah, you don't be a hypocrite, you do as you speak, of course. And so we know as believers that we're going to be judged um, you know, it's not like we're going to go to hell uh, when we get judged, but we know that the Lord cares about how we conduct ourselves, right? And so he's telling us to speak and so act as we're going to be judged by the law of liberty. And, and yes, the law of liberty, going back in James chapter 2, uh, we saw that uh, this is a, a beautiful thing um, because it keeps us accountable to love our neighbor as ourselves and, like you said, not to be a hypocrite. Very good. How else, how else does it connect here? In James chapter 3, what, what are we talking about? Talking about judgment, right? And so if you see here, uh, James uh, is talking about you know, our speech and our conduct and that will be judged. And then if you look at verse 13, look what it says. For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. And so just imagine a preacher saying, show mercy to others, but they're not showing mercy. To others, right? We see that hypocrisy, and so teachers need to lead by example. All right, let's continue in James chapter 3, verse 2. So we see here the next part of the verse James admits that we all stumble, but that doesn't mean it's impossible to grow in our faith. We can easily get down on ourselves and say, Well, we all sin, that's just the way it is, you know, we live. You, you can you can start saying, you know, I'm a sinner and I'm just going to live in my sin and, and you're not going to see any victory. But no, we need to change that mindset. We need to put on some biblical lenses. Look at what James says at the end of verse 2. He says, if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. And so James brings us back to the main thesis here, right? If you look at James uh, chapter 1, verse 26 after finishing up a major point that we're called to be doers of the word, we get three ways that we can know we're doers of the word. And the first one, it's in negative fashion. Verse 26, it says, If anyone thinks himself to be religious or have real faith and yet does not bridle or control his tongue, deceives his own heart, this man's religion or faith is worthless. And so that's one of the main questions that we need to answer when we're reading the book of James. If we say we have real faith, do we control the tongue? You know, my youngest son, Santiago, he just learned to crawl, right? It's, re- it's really beautiful just to see his growth, right? First he wasn't able to crawl, now he's able to crawl, and then eventually he's going to be able to walk, right? Well, if we're not able to control the tongue to a certain extent, we are like babies still learning to crawl. We are immature. And so James chapter 3, verse 2 He makes the statement that a mature believer is one that does not stumble in what he says. A person's speech says a lot about a person's heart. If they have real faith, it should show by how they control the tongue. Now, the word perfect here, if you look back in James chapter 3, it should remind us about how James opens up his book. So I want you to see this in James chapter 1 verse 4. Remember, he starts off, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you meet trials of various kinds. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And then he makes this really important point. He says, and let endurance have it, there's our word, perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And so we see here that James is talking about a believer who is growing in maturity, right? Right? A believer who's controlling what they say reveals that they are praying for wisdom. If you see the connection there in verse 5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, right? So the perfect man is not lacking anything, but obviously no one here is going to be fully mature. And so we are going to be lacking in what? Uh, We're going to be lacking in maturity and growing in sanctification. And so we need to pray for wisdom. And so that's exactly what a mature believer does. He's praying daily for wisdom. When he's in trials, he's enduring by the grace of God. And they're growing in maturity because they're submitting to God's will. And so maybe you can relate to this. When you first got saved, you used to say a lot of things you shouldn't have said. Um, And now you're able to catch yourself. You're able to say, hey, I shouldn't be saying this. I should be slow to speak. And so why are you able to stop a lot of things you used to not be able to stop? What's the main reason? The Holy Spirit, yes. So we see in Galatians 5, uh, verse 23, that the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And then if you keep going, you get to self-control. And so it is the Spirit who is working in us. We're able to be slow to speak, quick to hear, and slow to anger. In other words, we are being sanctified when we're learning to control the tongue. So James, he encourages us here to evaluate our speech. Are we controlling what we say? And and so what does he do? He begins to introduce this picture to us to really think about it. And and he says, if we can control or bridle what we say, we can control or bridle the whole body. And so therefore, the tongue is the main source of stumbling. Again, we know there's sins of speech, there's sins of conduct. And the hardest thing to control is what we say, for it comes out of our heart. I want you to see this here. Um, we're talking about the tongue, communication, all that, but really, what does it go down? It goes down deeper to your heart. So turn with me to Matthew 12. Matthew 12. Probably heard these verses before, maybe, maybe have it memorized. But really important here Matthew 12, verse 34. Look what Jesus says here. You brood of vipers, how can you... Uh, wait up! Yeah. You brood of vipers, how can you be an evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And then he goes on. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. And so we see here that when you're speaking, you're speaking out of the heart. And clearly the unbelievers, those that have no restraint, they, uh, they don't have the Spirit of God, they speak out of their heart and you hear, you hear their profanity, their curses, their anger, right? Uh, because that is natural for them. Uh, but as a believer, um, you're getting change, right? The old has passed away, the new has come, you're a new creature, and you're able to control the tongue to a certain extent, And in Matthew 15, 19, another key verse, listen to this one. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murderers, adulterers, deaths, false witness, slanderers. And so we see that Jesus is telling us that out of the heart is where the evil comes from, right? We are wicked sinners, we are depraved, and so our speech reveals the sin in our hearts. One of the first steps in sanctification is, is to change how we speak and talk to others. God has to do a work in our hearts, and we need to obey God in how we conduct ourselves in speech. I want you to turn to one more verse here in Proverbs. Go to Proverbs 25. Another illustration, you know, I like to stick with uh, what the biblical author is doing when I teach. And so I want to show you another picture here. Proverbs 25, verse 28. It says, Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. I'll say it again. Like a city that is broken into and without walls is a man who has no control over his spirit. And so a man that has no control over what he says is in a very scary place because they are weak and they truly have no strength to stop with their harmful words. And and we know that uh, they should never become teachers, those that are not able to control the tongue to a certain extent. Now, this should remind us that unbelievers don't have the Spirit of God, and we need to be patient with them as we discuss and talk with them. Maybe at at your work, right? There's someone who's bugging you. Um, Just remember, they don't have the Spirit of God. We need to be patient with them. All right, any questions or comments before we move on? I know that's a huge topic we could spend all day on, self-control, but any other questions or comments? Alrighty. So some applications here just for these two verses. First one. Do you understand the weight of teaching God's Word? This is no laughing matter. We will be judged by how we teach. Maybe you do teach well, but do we do so in hypocrisy? Do we teach with self-control or do we teach with no self-control? Teaching is a serious task. May we not take it lightly. The second application is to do you control the tongue? Have you? How have you been doing with the sins of maybe partiality, gossip, or crude joking? We need to be aware of what we're listening to and watching because it can make us numb to these sins. So be careful what you're intaking daily Uh, Because if it's not the word of God, you're more likely to stumble in the sins of speech. The only one we know who perfectly controlled the tongue was Jesus. And we need to depend on him as we daily seek to control the tongue. All right, let's continue to our last couple verses. And uh, with this lesson here, we'll finish it up soon. Look at James chapter 3, verses 3 to 5. Let's read it here. Now if we put into the bits into the horse's mouth so that we they will obey us we direct their entire body as well. Look at the ships also though they were so great and are driven by strong winds are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. And so in these verses James will continue teaching on the tongue. He's going to give us three illustrations of the power of the tongue. This will set us up for next week when we talk about um, how dangerous that tongue can be, right? We're going to talk about how it's a fire. And so one of his main points in these verses is going to be the size of the tongue. We'll we'll explain why. Uh, Many of us, we know... Uh, that we can imagine something dangerous when it's a large item, right? Uh, Because those large things can do great damage. Maybe you think of a whale or a great white shark or or maybe dinosaurs, right? But we often forget the small things can be just as dangerous or even more dangerous than the large. We already mentioned snakes, but I'll give you one more example. Maybe you've heard of the small web funnel spider. Just one bite and you could be dead in minutes, And so animals and insects are good pictures of size and strength. But James gives us three illustrations that his audience would best understand to explain the power of the tongue. So we're going to look at the first one here. First one here is in verse 3. James illustrates for us how we can control a large horse. This uh, horse here was a main source of transportation in the first century. And so, how were we able to control these horses? And even today, how are we able to control these horses? We put bits in their mouths, right? A bit is just a tiny object in the mouth of the horse. But with it, we can control a horse for the most part. Uh, just a couple observations from this illustration. Again, we observe the size of a small bit and in comparison to how big a horse is. That one supposedly is the tallest horse uh, known to man, um, and it should shock us of how such a small item can lead to the obedience and direction of a horse. A horse, uh, maybe some of you have ridden on a horse, it's not easy to control, right? Ask anyone who's tried. Um, but with a bit, we can control even the whole body of that horse. Such a small item, yet so powerful. Now, how does it relate to the tongue? James said this before. If we control the tongue, we can control the rest of the body. So if you control Uh, the mouth of the horse with the bit, you control the rest of the horse. And relating to the tongue, if we can say no to sins in our speech, we can say no to sins in our behavior and conduct. Now, if we are able to control this little tongue, it can mean great growth and sanctification. All right, another means of transportation in the first century were ships, right? The second illustration we see here, James tells us, to look at the ships, right? Behold the ships. Uh, Surely his audience had been on one before. And so he reminds his audience of how large ships are. Uh, I believe in Paul, in one of his missionary trips, uh, over 276 people were able to fit on that boat. Um, And these large ships, they're able, if you read in in verse four, they're able to withstand strong winds, right? Now, there was another time that James brought up strong winds. If you remember, James chapter 1, Verse six, uh, it was with the doubled minded man right who doubts God, and it is said that he is like a surf of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind and so James is using another similar illustration here, uh, just picturing how great the ship is, even with much wind on its um, on it it's able to continue and so ships are amazing, but we must not forget how they are controlled. James reminds us of the small rudder that is used to control the ship. And so um, if you know uh, with a wheel, you're able to control it. It depends on how old the ships are, but you know, sometimes uh, some of these ships had a little, um, they had ropes attached to the wheel and then the ropes go all the way down, all the way to the rudder. And so it's able to move with the beams and move left and move right. And so just that small little rudder could be able to manage just a large ship's direction right and it's so important because without it you're not able to steer um without the rudder that ship is useless and so the pilot can't just tell the uh, ship hey go this way go that way no it needs the rudder all right it's all connected uh with the wheel and whatnot so how is this similar to the first illustration Because, again, something so small can dictate the ability to control something so large. We should also notice the dangers of these illustrations. If we do not control a horse, what can happen? It can lead to a chariot crash or maybe you fall off the horse and you get hurt. If you do not control a ship, it can lead to a shipwreck uh, or maybe uh, being stranded on an island because you're not able to control the ship and you're going somewhere else. And so James gives us this reminder of of how dangerous the tongue is, and we'll get into that in a second. Um, So what does James do next? He jumps into the main point of showing these illustrations. Look at verse uh, 5 there. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet boasts of great things. And so we see here he goes back to his main topic, right? the topic of speech. The tongue is that which we use for verbal communication and swallowing right it's a strong muscle in our body that we use daily the tongue is just like a bit and a rudder it can lead to the control of the rest of the body the tongue also has the potential to lead to the greatest crash it's ironic that such a small part of our body can boast of great things Now, the meaning behind the word boast, it has the idea of being arrogant, right? James is going to later address the sin of boasting with those who act like they are in control. If you know a little bit about James in chapter 4, verses 13 to 16, uh, we read about those that think they have many years of life left and they're focusing on making their business flourish and gain great profits. But they forget who really is in control, God, of course, and, and they are just what a vapor that vanishes, that's here for a little while and then vanishes away. Now I want you to see how we can often sin with this tongue. So I'm just going to do a quick survey of the book of James. Go uh, to James chapter 1 verse 13. There's so many times that communication is brought up. Look at James chapter one, verse 13. It says, let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. And so we see here that with the tongue, we can say, God is the tempter. He's the reason for temptation. All right, that's another way of sinning, uh, false teaching. If you look at verse 19, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to what? Speak. And so we can be quick to speak in foolishness and anger. And then if you look at uh, chapter 2, look at verse 4, uh, verse 3. We see here how we can sin with our speech because we can be partial. He says, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the fine clothes. And look what, and you say you sit here in a good place and you sit to the poor man. You stand over there or sit by my footstool. And so we can sin uh, in this regard as well. We can be like the spokesperson that favored the rich over the poor and told the poor to sit in the back While he told the rich to sit in the best seat. Uh, Two more here. Look at uh, James chapter 2, verse 15. Again, sinning with our words. He says, If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give what is necessary for their body, what use is it? And so we can be hypocritical and we can tell the person in need, God's going to provide for you. God bless you. You'll be fine. No. Again, we're sinning there uh, by being greedy and not trying to help others. And lastly, look at verse 18. Another sin of speech here. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. And then James says, show me your faith without the works and I will show you by my faith, uh, with, uh, by my works. So we have someone here who's trying to separate faith and works. Right? They they are saying, you know what? It's okay to have faith without works. We don't need to have evidence for a true saving faith like Abraham or Rahab does. No. And so the question for us is how are we doing? Are we using our tongue to boast of great things? Or are we using our tongue to bring God glory? Another verse I want you to look at, Matthew uh, 12. Again, we just read it in Matthew 12, but there's a, a second part to it that I don't want you to... Miss out on, All right? After Jesus is saying his statement about you know the evil person out of their heart will speak evil, look what he says in verse thirty six, Matthew twelve thirty six. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it on the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And so we see that speech can lead you to hell, right? If you are a hypocrite, if you are speaking uh, words in in a matter of of, of sinning against God, cursing His people, we'll get a little bit into that next week, but clearly the Word's teaching us, you will be condemned. And so how does your speech reveal who you are? Are you a proud person or are you a humble person? Lastly, um, James goes back to one last illustration here. He gives them another picture that they can relate to. It's more dangerous than falling off a horse or a shipwreck. It's a forest fire, right? So in James chapter 3, the last part there, James tells us to see or behold this other picture in our minds, and it's A forest fire, how did that start? With just a small spark, right? A small little fire. And so can you picture that? It only takes a little flame to spread into a forest fire. Now, I'm sure you've seen the news uh, before, just images of great wildfires, right? Recently, we even had the impact of fires uh, in Canada, right? We got all that smoke for a couple weeks. And so we can see just the impact a small fire can cause, um, during the Palestine dry season, uh, what, what James has in mind here is more like brush fires right? that quickly spread. And, and it's perfect season during the dry season. Um, you know, It could just uh, spread like wildfire. And so a, a, small, a small fire can do a lot of damage. And so James is using this last illustration to point us back to the tongue. It's like the other, other illustrations because it reminds us of how something so small can have a large impact. And so we should begin to see just how the tongue can have so much influence in our life. We know that our mouth, it's connected to our mind. We say what we're thinking. By your words, you express what is on your mind. And so just think about it. Maybe one day you get really angry, get really frustrated, upset, and you tell someone, I hate you, right? That small little fire that you cause there can lead to a breakup, you know, a divorce, Maybe you'll never be friends again. Uh, people, they become enemies over just a text message or an email or maybe what they wrote on Facebook Messenger. Sometimes just looking at someone in the wrong way can cause damage. Our nonverbal and verbal communication is important. It can change the course of our lives in a moment. Some people, they get fired from their jobs for just a word they said, right? I Think of some radio broadcasters and baseball, just a little you know, blurb that they shouldn't have said, boom, they're fired. Um, And so our speech is a serious issue. Now, one last observation I want to make about this illustration is that the second, this is the second time James is mentioning uh, heat in an illustration. If you remember in James chapter 1, verses 10 to 11, the rich man and how he passes away like a flowering grass, right? What does he bring up there? That the sun rises with its scorching wind or heat and withers the grass. And so both illustrations picture something perishing. And the tongue, we're going to learn next week, it's, it's a fire and it can do great damage and cause us to perish. All right. Any questions or comments uh, before we move on to our applications here? Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but were also, it seems that our speech also affects our heart. Yeah. Because the insults, kind of like Yeah, I think if bad company corrupts good morals. So if you're constantly speaking, uh, you know, curses, profanities, just sinning with your speech, yeah, of course it's going <laughs> to you're going to get more depraved as you go. You had something, Evan? Or, all right, I thought I saw a hand up. No, but yeah, very good point there. Um, Anyone else on the sins of speech or anything we discussed? All right. So just some applications here I want you guys to think about before we move on to our quiz. Uh, This mouse is giving me a little difficulty here. Uh, All right, let me just... Move along here. All right, so applications here. Do we understand the power of the tongue? We can be indifferent when it comes to our speech, but God wants us to see how important it is. The little tongue can do great damage, and we need to be careful with it. When we get on a horse or a ship, or when we use fire, we're mindful that something can go wrong. For a horse, we may wear helmets. Uh, to put it in our terms maybe if you're going biking or on a motorcycle you put on a helmet when we go on a ship we're prepared with life jackets when we use fire we often have a fire extinguisher nearby and so why wouldn't we be thoughtful when we open up our mouths it can do more damage than we think Uh, God he has called us to be Uh, holy and blameless, of course, but he's telling us with the sins of speech, he's telling us to put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from our mouths, right? We can read about that in Colossians 3. And then Colossians 4, what does he say? We are to let our speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt. Ephesians 4, verse 4, we talk about how our speech uh, shouldn't be filled with this evilness, uh, wickedness, but rather with thanksgiving, And so rather than threats, our speech should be filled with thanksgiving. One last application here is to consider, uh, are we being arrogant in our speech? We can act like we know it all or talk like we know exactly what's going on, but let's keep it real, let's be honest. God knows and He only knows what's completely going on. And so we need to learn to trust in Him and we need to ask Him for wisdom daily. As we grow in Christ, we will begin to speak with humility, and we're going to start saying, you know, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. All right, so in conclusion, uh, let me just end here with this. We discuss how serious it is to be a teacher. May we remember that those who teach will incur stricter judgment. We also learn that we all stumble in many ways, but for those who have self-control in their speech, um, they will be able to stumble less. Next week, we're going to continue in the topic of speech. We're going to learn how the tongue can be incontrollable and inconsistent. Although the tongue is small, it is important we learn to steer this dangerous weapon. It is more dangerous than that inland typen that we spoke about. However, we can't run away from this. It lives in us. It is part of our bodies. We need to learn how to control the tongue and lean on the Lord when we open our mouths. And so picture... Uh, The next time you maybe send a text or, or talk about someone, picture Christ is in the room, right? And may we aim to steer the stumbling tongue by the grace of God for others to be edified by what we say.